Hi, I'm Rob Knight, the host of Your Itinerary for Travel and Photography. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly and now pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to cachefly.com and use the promo code TWIP. And by Rocky Nook, publishers of beautiful books about teaching photographers the art, craft, and technology of photography. This is TWIP, episode 427, 10 Life-Sucking Photographer Beliefs and the Death of Pictage. In this show, we attempt to dispel some photographer life-sucking beliefs as highlighted by Don Dianati on the awesome Petapixel blog. Mr. Silarina and Cheryl Dorskin sit down with me to discuss the myths of expensive gear, location, experience, working for free, and more. And in some news that arrived during the recording of this episode, the iconic wedding and portrait photography company, Pictage, is closing its doors. It's Monday, August 24th, 2015, and this is TWIP. All right, folks, this is going to be a really good episode here. I'm looking forward to talking to both of you guys, Cheryl and Syl. Syl, you haven't been on the show in a while. I think, Cheryl, you've been on since Syl has been on. But Syl, last time you were on, you were threatening us with uh, with this weapon here that I have in my hands, the, <laughs> the Speedlighter's Handbook, the second edition which is, I'm going to put this, uh, you know, it actually doesn't go on my bookshelf. It goes next to my Bowflex equipment. So yeah, <laughs> you've got your machine propped up on one corner with my new book. I'm so exactly. happy. Who needs way too more? This thing, all in all seriously, seriousness, this thing is substantial. Congratulations on Thank launching you. this. I know you lost quite a few red hairs. Uh, put this yeah, thing it's out, a little right? farther back up there now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's 400 and something pages, 450 pages. Uh, and they finally just said, look, so you got to stop writing because we got to publish this. So yeah, yeah. I'm very well, proud of it though. Very, very yeah. proud. Yeah. And it's, it's shipping now, right? You can actually it is. go It just by. started shipping last week. So um, wow. I'm thrilled to see it out in the wild. Well, just before we jump into the show, give us give us this the Silarina elevator pitch for why folks should buy this book, especially because I have the Silarina Speedlighters Handbook back here somewhere in my shelf. Why would I need this book if I already have that book? So it, two answers. If you're a Canon shooter, this edition of the Speedlighters Handbook has been updated cover to cover. It incorporates all of the new Canon Speedlights that have been introduced in the last five years. The 600, there's an online supplement for the newly announced 430 EX3RT, the new mid-level speed light with radio in it. They're going to run out of letters. Uh, they are. They, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, XT. Um, so it's uh, it's completely updated. If you're not a Canon shooter I think it's and you're interested in flash, I think it's still worth a look because the reality is it's been five years since the first edition was published and I've literally worked with hundreds and hundreds of students at workshops, talked to thousands of people it seems like by email and I paid attention to the questions that they asked and when they kept asking the same questions about the same explanations, like, oh, better rework that one. So even the way that I present the information has been completely refreshed. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, I can't, I just got it. So I can't lie to you and tell you that I've read it already. But That's okay. <laughs> just set it by your Bowflex. I know how much uh, time well, you spend it, there. Yeah. And I'm not a cannon shooter, but I'm going to still read it. There's stuff in here for me too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Look under the acknowledgements. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look in there. All right. Well, Cheryl, what about you? What's going on? Welcome to the show. Coming to us all the way from the you're not on Strong Island, are you? Where are you? Yeah, Long Island, West Hampton. Strong Island. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on in your world right now? Oh, busy, busy, busy. Yeah, you're busy, busy. You're you're running. You're still running your workshops and doing all that cool stuff and and educating photographers and and all that magic, right? Yeah, doing mentoring classes, online classes, writing. I'm writing. I'm doing a lot of writing right now. Uh, I don't know. I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I love photography, so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, maybe you could give Syl some, or Syl, you can give Cheryl some tips on how to survive the writing gauntlet, right? <laughs> Since you've made it through twice already. Just get no, up three every times. You've made it through going. three times, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just wrote a new online class, and that was like writing a book. You know, writing, I think writing is the hardest art of, of all arts. Yeah, music, over yeah. music, over photography, writing is hard. So I, I feel for you. I can't imagine writing a 400-page book still. So. Neither can I. Yeah. It's all kind of just been blacked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't congratulations. Know, I mean, That's awesome. Thank you. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a uh, I don't know if it's if it's the hardest of all arts It's definitely they're all difficult. But you know, it definitely takes diligence and perseverance and talent and knowledge all mixed into one consistently to put out a book. <laughs> it's not it's not just like a blog post, right? You gotta yeah, well, you have there. to be so precise. I mean, the, it's, it, the language is is tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of things that are tough, let's dive into the first story today. Story number one it comes to us from Petapixel. They put out an article called 10 Beliefs That Suck the Life Out of Photographers. So let me read this little blurb we have in our notes here. It says, a recent opinion article on Petapixel by Don Giatini. How do you pronounce that name, Cheryl? Giannati. 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 By Don Giannati, identifies 10 beliefs that suck the life out of photographers looking to make a living from their work. Some of these beliefs include, we must have professional gear to be considered a pro. We must live in a big city. We have to have hundreds of hours of experience. We must never work for free. We must have a large internet following to even be considered. No one is able to make a living in this business anymore. So I want to, I mean, those are just a couple of, so I want to talk about some of these. Cheryl, I want to go to you first. Uh, what do you think? I mean, are, are any, first of all, without leading the witness, are any of these valid, <laughs> do you think? Or, you know, are some of them not so valid? What do you think? Uh, I, don't, I don't think any of them are valid. Oh, oh. See, and I didn't even lead the witness. I, see, I let you come to your own conclusion. <laughs> I don't think you need pro gear. I don't think you need, you can live anywhere. Everyone needs photographs. Sometimes you got to work for free to get a portfolio built. I have, you know, Facebook and social media. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I got, I just actually got a big job from Facebook. Mm-hmm. I've been on Facebook for years. I, I never get work on through social media. Hmm. I, it, for me, it's all word of mouth. So I don't know. I would I would say a lot of photographers don't have a big following. Not to say a big following. It's great for you, Sil, with a book. I mean, you want a big following. Uh, do you have a big following on social media? Yeah, Sil, Sil does. Yeah, you do, Sil. Yeah, Sil, I, Sil's know, the man. Of, I, 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 uh, I have a lot of followers who are very patient. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they'll chime in. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think any of those rules never yeah, apply. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, this, this makes for a really interesting discussion. So, you know, on that stuff. So when you're looking at any one of these, like yeah. having thousands, thousands of hours of experience, there's, when I read this list, I thought there's yeses and nos to both sides of this. Mm-hmm. So we must have professional gear to con- be considered pro. Right. Well, if you're going to be if you're going to be shooting commercial work, you don't want to show up with your iPhone. So right. yes, you do. But at the same unless time, unless it's an iPhone commercial, or unless it's an iPhone commercial. But at the right. same time, if you, it doesn't necessarily take gazillion dollar gear to make professional right. quality work. So right. must live in a big city. It helps if you're going to be a street photographer to live in a big city, but it's not necessary. You know, so there's pluses and minuses. What do you right. think, so? So first off, um, so Don Giannatti, who wrote this article and originally posted it, I followed the links through off Petapixel, and I went back over to Don's um, site, Lighting Essentials. And I've known Don for years and years. Oh, um, I grew up in Phoenix, but I never, I never knew him when I lived there. Um, but I have, uh, you know, visited him on expeditions back to see my family. And so I got to say, um, he's a good shooter. He's strongly opinionated. And I think in this case, um, all 10 of these issues are really, really well crafted. You're right. Mm-hmm. There are yes and no elements to each one of these aspects. Do you have to have professional gear to be a pro? Absolutely not. I mean, there's the old adage, you know, a crappy camera in the hands of a master will make good images and a pro camera in the hands of a beginner won't do anything. But the reality is, and I just, let me back up 
um, before I get up in the soapbox, I want to encourage everyone to go over to Don's blog and read it. And Petapixel reprinted it word for word. But the great thing about going through to Don's blog is after you read this article, there's going to be, if you like this, other stuff has popped up. And he's got a ton of great content about the realities of being a professional shooter. And so, um, in fact, I think I might bury that in the show notes down below just to make sure that folks have yeah, what's, that. Yeah, what's, before you continue, what's his URL again for folks that are so like... So let me just click over. So it's lighting-essentials.com. Okay. So lighting-essentials.com. And like I say, a top-notch shooter. He's been around the block a hundred thousand times, um, worked professionally. He's got a ton of really strong opinions and has never been shy about sharing them. So, um, you know, as as I go through here, these are all really strong things. Uh, We must never work for free. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. There's something also though, that I think all too often people say, well, um, okay, I'm not going to work for free. I'm always going to charge um, and then you then you lose the job, right? And you're not building right. a portfolio. But then how do you so learn? I mean, you know, both of you guys, you're both of you are educators. So, so that, that you know, my, you must my never view work on that for free thing. My view on that one, and I think we've talked about it on the show before, um, is easily decided. You know, find an organization, a not for profit concern that you believe in, that you want to support, and go work with them, go, you know, go shoot for them for free just Mm -hmm. because, you know, I think the distinction is if you're providing, if your images are providing value to a commercial client, um, or to an organization that normally would pay for this kind of work and they're just getting you to work for free because you don't have the experience, that's not a win-win. And I don't know that that's a healthy relationship. Um, you know, so try to find those entities, those organizations, that will benefit from your photographs and find yeah. the cause, you know, that you're going to believe in. Because that old thing, oh, work for us for free this time and we'll be sure to get you in the door next time first ahead of everybody else. That's a lie. Yeah. That never – that when, so, when a client with a wallet says that, it never works out well for the photographer. No, never. Yeah, never. And it's uh, – yeah, it's, it does a disservice to all the other photographers as well that, that could have bid and paid and gotten paid for that job. But on, the, on that same token, and both of you guys, feel free to jump in on this. In the same token, the never work for free line, when I read that, I was thinking, okay, if people see that and they're like, okay, that's it. Never again am I going to work for free. And they're just starting in photography. Sometimes right. you got to work for free or, you know, be an apprentice or – Padawan or whatever before you can start, you you know, charging morally and financially charging for your services. You know, it's mm-hmm. some you you have to get to a point where you actually have a marketable service before you can actually put a price tag on it. So how do you how do you get to that point, Cheryl? You want to take that one? You know, I teach at the college level, and um, so these students they don't have a portfolio. They they want to get their feet a little wet. So usually somebody's family needs a picture of something. There's a christening or there's um, even weddings. I mean, I, I actually don't encourage my students to do a wedding, A, not to get paid. And, and you know, but on the other hand, that's how people are approached. People say to every people who want a photographer don't, often don't realize that there's a real skill there. They think, oh, they have a camera. It looks like a nice camera. I'm going to ask them to photograph my wedding or uh, my engagement pictures or something. And so I'll encourage those students to try to charge. But if it's a friend or a family member, why not Why not get the experience? Um, mm-hmm. Not for a wedding, but, you know, for a portrait or a, kid, a baby or uh, somebody's relative. So I, I feel like on that level... Doing it for free, it builds experience, you know, and plus a portfolio. I'm, yeah. So what do you do? Like, do you, is there, is there merit still, is there merit in, say there's a new, a, a photographer is just learning, they, you know, they're building up their look, you know, and they're, you know, they, they found their genre of photography and they want to, they think they're almost ready to make the leap into making money at this. Is there merit in saying, okay, I'm going to go approach this local vendor and ask them if I can do a, a project around their company or service or whatever, and I'm going to do it for free so that I can say that, hey, that's one of my clients. You know, I can use their name 
on my client roster, even though I did the job for free. And, you know, is there is there merit in that or should they is that a slippery slope? Um, yes, there's merit. And yes, I think it's a slippery slope. <laughs> um, you know, my, my I would say if you can find a small business that needs images, you know, I used to sh- I used to shoot for a friend who had a small restaurant yep. and he needed better food photos on his website. So I went to him and, you know, granted, I wasn't just beginning, but I went to him and I said, you need better food photos. I like to eat. How about if we work out a trade? And so I did, and I milked that deal for a long time, but, um, (laughs) so until we got like all the photos updated and then the gravy train was over. But, um, sincerely, I think if you work with small business people, um, and it's a step, it's like a step up from the great idea that Cheryl just shared in that give, you know, shooting for friends and family who have family type events that they would really appreciate, um, great photos from, and also who will be forgiving if you fall flat in your face yeah. uh, and shoot, you know, low quality JPEGs instead of raw files during the event uh, with the wrong white balance setting on your camera okay. or something. But the next step up is you say, okay. Are you talking about me, so? No, you know, I was thinking about you though just yesterday because <laughs> I drove up from LA and we're going past the sign that said Lompoc and I was thinking about that story. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, the one where you photographed the general and tungsten outdoors? Tungsten film, yes. Not 24 hours ago, I was reliving that whole story in my head. But (laughs) back to it. Back to it. So I think those stories, um, I think those opportunities just continue to escalate, right? Um, So you go, you know, go to to small business people. Don't go to a big company um, who's, you know, they're they're just going to look at you and say, no, we're not really interested unless you've got some sort of inside track. In yeah. that in that business, and you just continue to work your way up. When I got out of of uh, commercial shooting, you know, half dozen or so years ago, I'd gotten to a point where I realized that my best client prospects were companies that did at least ten million dollars in sales, but not more than fifty million dollars in sales. And I bring that up because that was like the sweet spot where, if the company was smaller than that. Uh, financially, I never got those jobs because what I was then wanting to earn was more than they wanted to pay. And yet, if a company may was doing you know fifty, hundred million, two hundred million, I never got those jobs either because I wasn't a big enough commercial shooter. I didn't have you know art directors and producers and all that high budget kind of stuff. And so it took a long while to kind of realize, oh, there is this profile where you say, all right, these are the kinds of clients that I'm successful working with. And over time, that ladder escalates up. So if you're just starting out, yeah, start with friends and family and then go find local enterprises, whether it's a business or a a social group. Um, You know, go find somebody who's going to benefit from your photographs. But if it's a business, I really believe in you've got to begin exchanging value. You've got to get used to the idea early on in your career as a shooter, that your photography has value. I'm convinced that the number one thing that derails uh, emerging shooters, emerging pros, is that they don't embrace the idea that their photography has value. But still, sometimes it doesn't, though. So it it has value. (laughs) It has value when they get to a certain, when people get to a certain skill level, you know, and they they become they, they're starting creating professional work. But when you're just practicing and making mistakes, that's what I was going to ask you. So how do you get to that level of, you know, or when do you, when do you reveal to the to say this entity that you're going to? The, when, when do you present yourself as a pro versus, hey, I'm just learning and I want to practice on you? Or do right. you present the facade of, hey, I'm a pro and I'm going to work for you for free to build my portfolio? Like, yeah, how do you-, uh, you know, that's again, that's a slippery slope part, because if you say, hey, I'm a pro, but I'm going to work for free. It's kind of like, well, if you're a pro, then why aren't you expecting to get paid for it? Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, so it, it is really tough. If you if your portfolio doesn't have those images in it, then go back, a, go back one square to the idea that Cheryl shared and shoot in situations, you know, if your mom makes great chocolate chip cookies and you want to be a food shooter, then work with your mom's chocolate chip cookies on the windowsill. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you just got to figure out where, where you are, your friends and family. 
I think will give you every opportunity to, you know, to shoot. I certainly know, ask my kids, look through that book. I still, you know, it's like, Hey, Tony, come on over here and stand in this frame. Yeah. But say, say you're a wedding shooter. So say you want to, that's, that's the genre you want to go after. And sure. I want to have you chime in on this as well. Say that's the genre that you're targeting weddings. That's your thing. Weddings and portrait. Um, do you, and you're, and you, like you said, you're taking both of you guys advice and you're going to start with friends and family and make them happy. Do you, and they know you're not a pro because these are your friends and family. They know where you are on the ladder. So, but do you still work towards presenting yourself as a pro? In other words, do you invoice them and go through all the motions that you would as a normal photographer, even though the number's zero on there? Or do you, like, how do you how do you present and start exercising that pro muscle so that when you do start charging people, you know, you're it's fluid and easy. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't really encourage anyone not to charge. So I guess I would advise them to come up with a cost structure to start with. But on the other Mm -hmm. hand, sometimes people are asked favors. You know, as I was saying, it just seems like a natural way to begin. I do like Syl's idea of bartering with restaurants. I think that's a great idea. Or like yeah. I'm, I'm out here in vineyard country. Actually, you, you probably are too. Um, going to vineyards, there's so many opportunities. I was just at one and I, I was thinking, God, there's, there's so much photographers can do from photographing the vineyards and giving them art to sell to greeting card. I mean, there was, I was in there thinking, God, there's so many possibilities that I'll share with my students. So, I mean, so there's, you know, if you walk into, you know, there's this, um, I don't know if you can see, there's this article that was in the New York Times. It's mm-hmm. um, the Times Magazine, the cover story. It's called The New Making It. It's the digital economy was supposed to make artistic careers impossible. and Instead, it reinvented them. And oh. um, it's such a great article that would just... I read over the weekend and the bottom line is that there was supposed to be, the internet was supposed to ruin creatives lives. But what this writer talked about, which I was so encouraged about was that musicians, uh, writers and photographers and artists are actually all doing better now than we were 15 years ago, but we're all reinventing ourselves. So for photographers starting out, you know, you just have to start. You just have to figure it out. And if you're if you're cre- uh, courageous enough to s- charge right away, you should. I want to read that article. If you can, I'll Cheryl. I'll put that on the show notes. Put it in the notes, please. Yeah, that I definitely is, want to read that. It's such a good article. Even like in the music business, it talks about how uh, the record companies, yes, are doing really bad. But musicians, there are more musicians now than ever. And they're mm-hmm. making money. And yeah. uh, it's so encouraging. I was just like, wow. <laughs> it's interesting. This is, yeah, I got to, I got to, yeah, Sil, you'll have to introduce me to Don. I want to thank him personally mm-hmm. for, for writing, writing this article. And this, the, the other one I want to talk about on here is you must have a large internet following to even be considered. So that's interesting too, especially piggybacking on what you just said, Cheryl, with the, you know, the internet economy. And we, we bandy around these terms about the information economy and the attention economy and all that stuff and it's true if you have a lot of followers online you can if you know how to you can if you want to monetize them you can do that you can get feedback from them to make your art better you can stroke your ego by getting them to like your stuff you know there's a whole bunch of doors that open up when you have it versus not having it so so what do you think? I mean, in order to be, you know, the, the title of, of Don's article is 10 beliefs that suck the life out of photographers. Does that suck the life out of photographers if they're like, OK, I'm good, but I got five followers on yeah. Twitter. So, so it can, you know, it can suck the life out of photographers in a couple of different ways. And it depends upon the type of photographer you are. And I didn't realize this early on. I think I've been blogging, I don't know, seven or so, six, seven, eight years. I don't know really when I started. Um, and I was just blogging because I liked it. And it was fun and it was early on. There, you know, there was nowhere near the web content there is today. But I was just putting stuff out there and then I would get followers. And it didn't really relate to my photographic practice, to my business model. And I think that's a detriment to a whole lot of photographers who think, 
I've got to have, you know, a ton of Twitter followers and I've got to have a ton of friends on Facebook. Um, depending on the kind of photographer you are, it's almost like the higher up you go in the professional spheres, the less you care about social media in terms of the gross number of followers you have. I'll mm -hmm. tell you a guy who does it brilliantly well. There's a shooter named Chris Chrisman. And I don't know Chris personally, but I am have been an admirer of his social media model for from afar for several, several years. Chris is very focused. He shoots. He's an editorial portrait shooter, location shooter, beautiful lighter, of course, which is how he got my attention in the first place. And all of Chris's social media, his blog posts, these are really directed towards prospective clients. They're directed towards art directors and art buyers. They're not like, oh, look at me, look what I did. It's not just about getting another click. And so I think one of the things that, you know, you're just, you're going to start whether you have any followers or not. And um, I think if you're real, I mean, that's one of the things I alluded to earlier that my followers are really patient. I really feel like personally, my social media got way out of control. I was just like putting stuff out there to get more clicks. And I finally, about a year ago, said, you know what? Put quality stuff out there. And if you only, if you only tweet twice a month, it's okay as long as those two tweets are golden. Thank you, Sil. Thank you. Know, you. That's kind of my new model. And yeah, my, in fact, I, I got it, my Twitter stats this week and it said, you lost one follower. I was like, that was my growth for the week, minus one. I was like, okay, well, that person obviously didn't care about you know, the same things I did, which is perfectly okay. There's, we have too many forms of stimuli. Yeah, so yeah. I don't worry about, you know, the number of followers. Yeah, it's really nice to stroke the ego. But um, the reality is as your career develops, you should be developing a social media model and practice that fits with the type of clients you want to have. And you need to get – and if you're a wedding shooter, it's a t obviously a totally different game. Right. Yeah. If you're um, an action shooter, then it's a completely different kind of thing. It's different for all the genres. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're a wildlife shooter, how many penguins you have following you is really important. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. You know, when I did a talk, uh, I think it, it was a, an iFi webinar that they asked me to do a couple weeks ago. It was titled Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers, you know, a, a riff on Stephen Covey's thing. And, um, one of the, I think the first slide I had in there was, it was a slide that just showed a traffic jam. And the gist of it was, if you just jump in, jump in your car and get in traffic, because everyone else is in traffic, <laughs> you're, you know, you're not going to get anywhere, because most of those people, if not all of them have a destination, and they're trying to get from point A to point B, mm -hmm. they're not just in it, because they see the other cars in the herd. In right. it. And that's what social media is sometimes where people just Hey, you know, Sill's posting photos of his his trip to XYZ country, so I better post photos of my trip, you know, with no end goal in mind. Like right. from a business perspective, it's like, okay, if you're trying to promote your book, if you're trying to get likes because you want to get feedback on your 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 art, or if you're trying to sell art, you know, you have to have that in mind and that should inform the vernacular and the cadence and basically how you post going forward. Otherwise you're just shooting in the dark and driving in traffic for no reason. Right. So yeah, it's all this stuff is, is really interesting. His, uh, the other thing you put in here was the big city thing. So Cheryl, you're close to a big city. You're not in the big city. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not that close. Like, it takes me two hours to get to the city. So, oh, wow. I mean, actually, but you're, but you lived in Brooklyn. I heard a bird tell me. Well, right? I was born in Brooklyn. I lived in New York city. <laughs> Um, I lived in New York City, started my career in New York City, um, and then I moved out here and I thought, oh my God, I'm, this is career suicide. Yeah. Um, because when I moved here a long time ago, there was, there was, FedEx was just, just became an entity. So oh, wow. it worked okay. for me. Yeah. So, and now um, FedEx is going to be acquired by Uber. No, I'm just starting rumors. <laughs> I'm starting rumors. So no, I don't think you need to be near a big city. I, I mean, it's nice, nice to have um, people you can talk to mentors or colleagues, you know, so it's nice for other photographers to somehow meet other photographers, but I don't think you need to be in a big city. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sil? Do you, th you think, I mean, 
like I, I kind of teased at the beginning, if you're a street photographer, you kind of need streets mm-hmm. in order to. Well, then you can't <laughs> be a street photographer and work in yeah. Dakota. In a vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very limited. But I mean, that notwithstanding, I think a part of the gist of what Don's saying that we must live in a big city is you need to be in that kind of bustle and and, uh, you know, adjacent to other photographers that are doing work, which would be in a big city. Is that true? Do you if you want to be successful, say you want to be a successful fashion or commercial photographer, do you need to be in New York, San Francisco or L.A.? I, I'm going to be the dissenting vote on the panel. And I think if you want to be in uh, perhaps commercial, because that's so wide. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to be a high-end fashion photographer, yeah, I think you've got to be near the hub of the fashion industry, particularly if you're young and single. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean about this. Um, when I was young and single in the 80s, I was deathly afraid of New York. Um, it scared the hell out of me. Times Square was one of those places that you know, you hardly walked across during the daytime. And then, as I recall, Giuliani came through and started to straighten things out. But I was deathly afraid of the idea of moving to New York. I had friends um, from high school and college who were moving to New York. And, you know, some of the stories I heard from them were just crazy. But I look back and I think, where would my career have gone? Because I think, particularly if you're young and single and highly mobile, meaning that you're going to get out and mix and meet people and network, not sitting there on your phone looking at at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that New York, to a certain extent, LA, but the density, you know, in New York. Do you do that for the rest of your life? Well, some people do, but yeah. and that, that's yeah. a different career track. If you're if you're saying no, you know, what I want to shoot are family photos and senior portraits and things, the people who are meaningful in my community then you can do that wherever you want. Totally. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's like I was saying, you got to begin with the end in mind, right? You don't, you don't start the journey and say, Hey, I want to get somewhere and then go wandering the, the universe to find the destination. You have to have a destination and then, and then kind of tack your way to it. Right. right? And you know, and, and it all gets back to learning how to make great photos. And one of the best ways to learn to make great photos is assisting And if you say, you know, I want to go work for three years as an assistant and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sleep on all my friends' couches, but I want to go work for, you know, A-list and and A-minus list photographers. Um, You've got to be near a market where that is. And what's going to happen if you're in a big place like New York and you go to, you know, all the different, um, like ASMP's got a a group that is an assisting group and, and you go, you develop contacts in those circles then people who are leaving those circles because they're going out on their own, next time they get uh, a request from somebody to be an assistant and say, I'm not, I can't take this because it doesn't pay what I want to earn. But I know a guy down the street who's great and he's an up-and-comer. You should work with him. So yeah. I think there's something to be said about the old apprenticeship model of living in the big city and paying your dues and hustling and getting as many jobs with as many different photographers as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, before we leave this topic, um, Cheryl, do you have any any beliefs that are not on this list that you've fallen victim to? Well, I mean, a lot of these he doesn't believe in either. But I, I guess um, I guess my biggest recommendation would be not to really listen to anyone telling you you can't do anything like, mm-hmm. you know, just figure out what you want to do and f- go for it. I mean, there's always going to be people say, well, you can't do this here and you can't do this there, but putting rules around things. Yeah. yeah, Just, you know, figure out what you want to do and figure out how to get to do it. Love it. So what about you? Any, anything on this list that comes to mind? Oh, I think think I've fallen victim to every one of these things, you know, at various, (laughs) I mean, you hang around long enough, you're going to make every mistake in the book. And I think I've done. I if you're I, if you're moving forward, you're going to make the mistakes, yeah, right? You know, here's here, number seven. We obviously suck because the pros do it so easily. That's just one of the biggest myths ever, 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 ever. You know, yeah. it is. Yeah, maybe a pro looks like they're doing it easy, but that's part of the reason they're a pro. They're just internalizing that stress, and you know, outside it's like calm and cool and everything's groovy. And on the inside, they're going, oh, my God, I just totally blew it. And I've got to reshoot this, but I've got to look like it's, you know, not a problem. 
Right. That's and you don't see one. you don't see what's what people don't see are the mistakes and the scabs right. and the scar tissue and all that or the all the film on the cutting room floor, right? You only exactly. see we only show our best, you know, our best. So from the, the facade from the outside is, "Oh, wow, this person everything they post is amazing. They must right. be great." Right? So, so true. yeah, it's crazy. Love it. Love it. What a great discussion. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss a uh, something from Apple. Uh, they're offering free camera replacements on some iPhone 6 Plus units. We'll talk about that real quick and then jump into story number three. Today's episode of TWIP is brought to you by Rocky Nook, publishers of beautiful books about teaching photographers the art, craft, and technology of photography. Save 40% on all ebooks, including titles from Scott Kelby, Bruce Barnbaum, and more, simply by entering the coupon code TWIP40 on the checkout page at rockynook.com. All right, guys, let's just let's jump into story number two. So basically, the gist is if you bought an iPhone 6 Plus between September 2014 and January 2015, you could be eligible to get your back camera replaced. So according to a new support page on Apple's website, certain headset or handsets that were sold during that time had rear cameras that that had a potentially faulty component. Essentially, this is a public service announcement. <laughs> if you have one of those cameras... Uh, or, you, or if you have an iPhone 6 Plus that you bought in that window, check it out. You might be eligible to get the thing updated. So um, let's jump into story number three. So MIT has this is interesting. And so I want to have you, Mr. Speedlighter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to have you. I want to have you dive into this. Yeah. So MIT scientists have designed a new camera that will never overexpose a photograph, no matter what the lighting situation is. It's called a modulo camera. Essentially, it captures a high dynamic range photo with every exposure. And instead of capturing multiple photos at different exposures, as with traditional HDR, the camera only requires a single exposure. Silarina. Yeah. (laughs) Is this, you know, we like we're inchworming towards the age of drone based photography where you could just remove the photographer out of the equation. We've had on the show just this year alone, we've had cameras that will auto compose that you can focus later. Yeah, all all these different things. And now we have impossible overexposure or perfect exposure every single time. Yeah. What's left for the artisan to do, Silarina? Um, so you asked me a question I didn't expect to get asked. Um, (laughs) I was ready to talk about MIT and how much I love MIT. Uh, so, so what's left for the artist? I think what's left for the artist and, you know, I'm going to go all poetic for a moment is the human portion. Um, all of these cameras, you know, composition lighting. I mean, I'll, you know, I said this years ago, IS crappy light at ISO 100,000 million is still crappy light in the image. Um, so I think that as much as, and it's funny as, as, as advanced as all of these cameras get, I've actually been in retrograde and I shoot almost exclusively in manual mode Mm. because I want to consciously, I want to choose my shutter and my aperture. Um, although there are times where now I'm a huge advocate of auto ISO, um, because you know, manual mode in your camera and auto ISO if you've got a, a camera with good high ISO noise performance, is the best of all worlds right now. Um, right. So I can get the shutter to do what I want. I can get the aperture for depth of field. But you know, the greater question with all of these mechanized and, and computerized um, cameras, I, I sincerely say it's going to be a matter of where is that magical moment? Yeah, we can shoot 30 frames a second on an HD camera or an HD video camera and go harvest those frames and try to find that decisive moment. Mm-hmm. But I've got to think, and I, I maybe I'm just going to be relegated to being one of the old guys, which I'm proud to be now. Um, I choose to believe, though, that there's still a higher hit ratio if you've really tuned your eye and your instinct into what's going on. If you're a portrait shooter... It's about developing rapport with the person in front of the lens. I mean, you're never, I don't think, going to be able to get a good portrait by locking a camera down on a tripod saying, I'll be back in five minutes. You just sit here and this thing is going to make great images. 
it's just yeah. it's that's the human element that I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I agree and I disagree. Um, I I agree that you need to build rapport with the client or with the subject, but I think I was actually doing this yesterday. I was doing some portraits of family here in my house, and I was shooting them in 4K with continuous lighting. And this morning, harvesting frames, you know, as I found that perfect expression on the face. And what I did was I locked the camera down on the tripod, got the lighting perfect. And then I stepped from behind the camera mm -hmm. and had a conversation with the subject. Right. You know, and then, you know, I said, OK, turn a little bit this way. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Now smile a little bit. Yeah, a little better. You know, so instead of me, instead of the flash or the sound of the shutter being the trigger to elicit a certain emotion mm -hmm. and then they can relax, it's just a it was an easy conversation. But I hear what you're saying, too. You know, it's you know, if, if you there's no I don't think we're going to get to a level where we can automate everything. Cheryl, Cheryl, what about you? When you when you see an article like this, that's pushing the the technology of photography forward in this case with this modulo camera from mit scientists is it is it boiling away some of the creativity and artisanship that goes into being a true professional photographer no i think uh it's just better equipment i um to me it sounds really exciting i i just think it's like you know just a better lens it's but this would be a better camera. You can't, mm -hmm. I mean, the dynamic range, I think it said it increased to like um, 24. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, inc it's incredible to be able to take a picture and get it right in the, in a really contrasty scene. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, and what I also read about this camera, which made sense is they're thinking about robots and driverless cars that need to be able to see in the dark. So part of the reason for inventing this is so that the cameras in the cars can see, you know, at night and, and be able to process the information and make sense of it, yeah. you know, robotically. So, I mean, I, I looked at a lot of the um, uh, videos they have on this camera. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. It's to me. I mean, if I, if I had, that camera, like I'm, I have a photo shoot coming up, family, worst time of the day. Um, so I have to worry about burnt out sun because I'm going to have to do backlight and with the family and it's really sunny. But if I had this camera, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be at all worried. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but what's, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is interesting because I, the, the dynamic you know, the dynamic range that you would be able to get from this camera is really, really exciting, especially when you can, if you contrast it, no pun intended, with um, the low light sensitivity of a sensor like in Sony's A7S series. So you have that kind of low light sensitivity with this kind of insane dynamic range. It's like you could photograph you the could, future. You could or do the anything. Past. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, it sounds, it sounds like just this incredible tool. That's probably going to cost a fortune. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's I mean, we're, I'm not going to be able to use it anyway, you know. But um, I don't know. To me, it sounds very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, would you buy this if it came out, and what, what at what price? If so, if 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 Canon licensed this technology from MIT and put it into, say, a the 150D, would you buy yeah. it? <laughs> no, I just borrowed it from Canon to see if I liked it. Um, and then I tr hope they would forget that they loaned it to me, which they never yeah. do. Um, that's a really great question. But I mean, let's let's be honest. You know, in today's world, I mean, Moore's law continues to drive down, and the effect of all the other Moorish type laws um, drives down the cost of technology. And so, yeah, this might come out as a hundred thousand dollar pro module. I doubt that it actually would. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, five years later, it would be in the hands of the masses. Think about, I mean, there's so many examples. Think about where drones were five years ago. And now DJI, you know, and all the other guys are making totally over the top, formerly professional grade only drones that yeah. you can get, you know, from the corner candy store, it seems like. Uh, yeah. What I love most about this, and um, so... For those of you who don't know, I teach high school um, at photography and art. And so, and you went to MIT. Right? And I went to MIT this summer, actually, with my youngest son. 
um, and I fell in love with the school because um, I'm doing my master's degree in uh, Cambridge. And so I was there for a month this summer and Tony came out. But what I love about the idea is, and I tell my, I tell my high school kiddos, look, you may only take one art or photography class in your entire high school career, but my goal is to get you to embrace your own creativity and understand that every industry needs creative thought. And I think this is a perfect example. And that's actually why I fell in love with MIT. I, I don't know if Tony will apply, but um, heck, I, I certainly want to go back because I loved on, they have a, an institutional culture of creativity. And they have an institutional mm -hmm. sense of humor. And it doesn't surprise me that this incredibly kind of simplistic idea, oh, when the bucket, when the photon bucket fills up, we'll just dump it and then let it refill. And we'll just keep, in addition, you know, when it's all said and done, we'll keep track of how many times we dumped the photon bucket and we'll measure what's left. And then we'll do the new calculations. Um, so I would guess this image or this idea is, you know, years and years away from commercial release. So many things that MIT's Media Lab, who I've been a fan of for a long time, so many of those ideas do make it to market and so many of them never see the light of day. But I love this as a great example of why, um, frankly, I'll get up my soapbox real quick, why art belongs alongside science, technology, engineering, and math. It really should not be STEM education. It should be yeah. science, technology, education, art, and math, because um, this is a great example of why technology and why science needs creativity. Well, here's, here's a, a contrarian view. Um, what if the pendulum swings back the other direction? Because we're seeing people embracing film again. And like, Sil, you're saying you're shooting on all manual, not using the targeting computer mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, what if what if there's this backlash, like, say, against Facebook, and people are like, okay, too much of all this stuff. I'm just going to go use simple Instagram. It's easy. What if there's a backlash against all this automation and technology and photography, and people swing back towards the purest form of photography, which is full manual and film or just full manual on digital. Cheryl, would you, do you see something like that happening and would you embrace that? Or are you a child of the, the 2015 and you need all the tech you can get? Well, I started out as a film photographer, but I, I honestly don't miss it at all. I love all the technology. I think it makes our lives easier, better, and richer. But then again, I, I would go shoot film. I do hand painted. I, I I'm into art. I thought I think Sil, what you said about art is so important. Art is part and parcel with photography. Yeah, art is math. Math is art, right? Yeah. Well, and everything is math. And scientists invented photography, so there's there again where STEM should also have an, it should be STEMA. Yeah. <laughs> STEMA. <Yeah>. STEMA. <laughs> Love it. All right, folks, it's time for some listener Q&A. This week's question is from Shauna, and Shauna says, I'm taking my family to Mexico um, at Christmas for a vacation. I want to capture some beautiful sunset photos on the beach utilizing off-camera flash. Silarina, can you give me some advice on what gear to bring and provide me with some basic tips to get started so I can spend the next couple of months practicing before we go. So you wrote the book yeah, on Flash. This yeah. should be a walk in the park for you. Yeah, you know, it is. And it's it's a really important... There's, so there's a couple of ideas, Shauna, and I'm so grateful you're saying, hey, I want to practice. I love that. God bless you, for, you know. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to buy some more gear, throw in my bag. So here are the things I want you to think <laughs> about. You're shooting into a beautiful Mexican sunset, all gold and red and yellow, tequila-infused colors. And you have to understand that your speed light throws out light that's the color of noontime sunshine. So you're going to want to think about getting some gels, specifically quarter, half, and full cuts of color temperature orange, which are commonly called CTO gels. And you're going to want to practice using these gels because basically what you want to do to blend your fill flash in seamlessly so that the people who look at your photographs don't even think, oh, that's definitely lit with flash. You want to make your flash have those same kind of warm tones and colors that the sunset does. Um, 
The other thing I'll share with you, because you're on vacation, you probably don't want to haul down a bunch of um, modifiers. So this is when we were talking about Don Giannatti earlier in the show. Don mm -hmm. taught me a trick years ago. Um, and that is when you're shooting hard light, if you point the flash right at the nose of the subject or vice versa, you set your speed light up on a stand and you have your subject angle it so their nose is pointing right at the light. Either way, as long as they're aimed right at each other, you're going to drop a really tiny shadow, hard shadow under the nose. You'll drop a hard chin shadow onto the throat. And people are going to look at those images and go, that's great. As long as that light's off camera, you're going to have some shape and depth and texture in your shadows and in your light. So those two things, nose to the light and practice with various CTO gels and send me a postcard. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm curious, Cheryl, what would you do in this situation? Well, I mean, you're you're the expert, but I would yeah. I, I like I, I like what you said. Um, okay. I guess um, what she wanted Flash, I guess I would add in um, a reflector, but I mean, she asked about yeah. um, flash, but mm -hmm. I would bring a reflector. Yeah, um, love it. That's what I Perfect. would do. Yeah, I would, I would agree with both of you guys until um, I'm assuming what you said was salient, but I didn't hear it because Google crapped out for a minute. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, with the <laughs> you want the Reader's Digest version? Uh, no, oh, no, we got it. Show. It's, it's yeah. all recorded because we're, we're backing up everything now. Yeah, good. But listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, just visit us at thisweekinphoto.com and click on the submit a question link to send us your question or leave us a voice message. And guys, before we dive into the picks of the week segment, um, one of our listeners and a Facebook friend of mine, Mr. Brian Nemroth, just sent me a message just now on Facebook. And uh, let me read this. Um, this is from Pictage. So many of the wedding shooters out there are familiar with Pictage. They're a big lab that handles printing your photos and, you know, all that good stuff. And I used to actually work there for a short time. But let me uh, read this email that they just sent out to their listener or to their to their user base. It says, Dear Photographic Utopia, please accept my sincere apologies for the Pictage website being down since Thursday. The Pictage website is currently recovering, but it is an extremely slow process due to the high number of images we store. We're doing everything we can to bring the website online as fast as we can. We will credit you for your accounts the days down that you have already paid for. We will not charge your accounts for any further subscriptions until the site is restored. Um, and here's the here's the hammer. Though the site will be restored in the coming days, it is with a heavy heart that I announced that the, the closure of Pictage on September 27th, 2015. It is clear to me that despite my best efforts, problems like the ones we are experiencing will continue to occur and it's better to close the business gracefully than wait for a future failure from which we cannot recover. I'm sure you will have many questions about how this will impact you. We've attempted to address them ahead of time via, via this FAQ. As we identify more questions to, to be addressed, we will update it. Um, and then it goes on to talk about some of their diversifications and spinning off different businesses and how I guess that didn't work. Then at the, in closing, he says, um, I want to say thank you to those customers who have stayed loyal to us through thick and thin. The staff at Pictage is extremely gratified to have had the privilege of serving you for all these years. All good things must come to an end. Pictage was, in good, was indeed good. We love photographers. Kind regards. Michael Grant, general manager, Pictage. That is sad. I felt like I was reading a eulogy. That's, mm. uh, that's kind of sad. I don't know. Any comments on that? The closure of Pictage? I mean, there's not much to say. There's yeah, it's sad. another another casualty of the um, you know, the the rapid pace of change in the photography industry and the you know, and you, sometimes you can catch up, sometimes you can't. Sometimes things evolve in a direction that you can't sustain a business, you know, and so that's uh that's sad. And good, very good letter from Michael Grant there, but uh, it's sad to hear. Any comments there, Sil? I'm not a user. I'm not a wedding shooter, but I'm, you yeah. know, it, it, it's just proof. I mean, I'm sorry for the folks that are suffering financially for it, but it's proof in today's world that um, you've got to stay swift afoot. And yeah. it sounds like they made a very tough but mature decision to say, we can't do well at this, so we're not going to do it. And um, 
you know, tough, but I don't want to say congratulations for making that decision. You know, my heart goes out to those guys, but yeah, I, yeah and there's a lot of people that are, they're going to be, you know, on LinkedIn shortly. Yeah. I don't know. Cheryl, any thoughts on that? The closure yeah, it's of just TikTok? sad. It's, it's just a sign of our times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, let's pick up the pace a little mm-hmm. bit and the, uh, the, the tone of the show and jump into the picks of the week. This is, uh, you know, your pick can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Cheryl, I'm going to let you go first. What is your pick of the week? Well, I picked um, Canva for work. They just, um, do. You, have you seen that yet? No, I don't think so. It just um, just came out, C-A-N-V-A. Um, they're offering a 60-day uh, free trial. And what I like about it is you can upload your logos, put in your color colors, your fonts, although they are, they don't have my fonts. So, um, but they're going to shortly let you put in your own fonts. Um, and then, um, it, it really helps you create graphics and, um, and I like it. I've, I've, I used it this weekend and, um, I think it's a a cloud, it's a cloud, it's a cloud service, right? It's a design service for designing, uh, like you could put, do a book cover, you could do social media graphics, you could do blog covers. It really, it really, it's, it's a template. You pick this A, B and C and put it all together and create really nice graphics. And um, it's, it's really good. And their customer service is also great. Like I had a question, they responded right away with really good instructions on how to do X, Y, and Z. Text me back if you, you know, if you can't do it. I, I think they're a really good company. I think that Ooh. guy, Guy Kawasaki. Kawasaki. I think yeah. he owns Canva or somehow oh, he's connected. We'll have to with look it. into that. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know he was involved with that. But yeah, yeah we'll definitely. I think he is. It's. Um, I think it's a really good product. Cool. Yeah, Guy Kawasaki was the 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 lead evangelist at Apple back in the day, and he continues to be active, speaking and inspiring people in business and social media. So yeah, he's one of one of the people that I follow, I'm, I'm interested to see what, if he's involved with this, um, what it's all about. Thank you, Cheryl, for, uh, for sharing. Oh, that. You're welcome. It's good. All right, Mr. Sil Arena, mm. what's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is an exhibition and the exhibition catalog for a show that is coming to a close, unfortunately, at the Getty Museum in L.A. The show is called Light Paper Process Reinventing Photography. I made the long drive down to L.A. yesterday, and I was stunned. Um this is a show that, and the and the book is a is, is a great book. If you're interested in what the photographic art world looks like, and I'm I'm saying the contemporary photographic art world, and some of the interesting ideas that are going on in analog photography, um, this was an amazing experience for me, and it was a huge reminder of the importance, particularly where art's concerned, of going and seeing the actual pieces, because there were, I looked at all of their work. In, in the book before I went down, I looked at him on the web and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I saw some work. There's a fellow named Marco Brewer that manipulates the surface. He literally scratches the emulsion in analog color paper, chromogenic paper, and then processes it out. And it's like, oh yeah. And I'm a guy who's a fan and a student of abstract image making. Um, and these pieces of paper were so beautiful. Like the guards, like, okay, Mister, you got to step back from the glass because you've already got four nose prints <laughs> on the frame. So the show's called Light Paper Process Reinventing Photography. I've put in the show notes both the link to the Getty site because there's some amazing um, videos of various artists. There's a guy. Um, uh, Scott McCraw from San Francisco, who takes photographs with giant handmade view cameras of the sun, and he literally lets the he loads in photo paper rather than film, and he the sun literally scorches traces across the paper. Um, it's like smoke is coming out of the bellows, and really I was like, cool. oh, you know, and and some of that was on Petapixel, so you may be familiar, but same kind of thing. When you stick your nose up close to those prints and you see the singe marks in the paper and you think what an amazing interpretation of capturing photons of capturing light so the book is on a link to the book is there um, a link to the show at the getty and from the getty site you can find videos of several of the artists who are in the show 
Perfect. Awesome. Great picks from both of you guys. Um, my pick is also great. Mm. And Syl, we talked about it at the beginning of the show a little bit. And it is your book. Mm. Congratulations, Syl. My pick of the week is The Speedlighter's Handbook, second edition by none other than the fiery redhead mm. himself, Mr. Syl Arena. Thank you. Really good book. If you are, if you use speed lights at all, and if you're a cannon shooter, this this feels like to me, and like I said at the beginning of the show, I haven't read it yet, but looking through it, and knowing Syl, and this thing is meticulous. This I feel like if I could suck all the information in this book into my head, I will be Sillerina. Yeah, I, <laughs> you, you might be, and you're welcome to the wig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about? The, I need the face wig too. I need the goatee. Sorry, you got, it's, sorry, it's a just set, kidding about the know? wig part. But I can give you, I can give you some ideas. Yeah, yeah. But congratulations, Syl, again on this, man. I know I know your work ethic and I know um, how hard it is to do one of these things, let alone one of the uh, 400, the what, 437 pages of book right here. You left some you left some DNA putting this thing together, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. And uh, no, I'm proud of it. And I mean, how many how many episodes did we joke about like oh yeah when's that book coming out look through the twip archives it's been a year and a half in the works so i came on just after i started it and like once a quarter and you'd say where is it where is it yeah. still working and here it still is working. here it is but thank you appreciate the support congrats man yeah they, so definitely go pick it up it's published by our friends of the show over at peach pit press right. and let go, me just give a shout out. frederick really quick um i want to say thanks to everyone who's heading out to amazon and writing reader reviews that's a huge talk about social media um reader reviews on amazon are so important uh, to authors because that helps the Amazon algorithm say, oh, we should put this book closer to the top of recommendations. So it helps other photographers find the book. So thanks everyone who's writing those reader reviews. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. People, people, a lot of people don't understand the importance of reviews and how authors, it's, it's like a, a direct connection with the author. Um, so yeah, and, and it helps other people understand the value of the book. And if you leave an honest review on the book, so yeah, definitely, you know, re leave reviews on Syl's book and for this week in photo on iTunes mm -hmm. reviews, reviews, reviews. We love them. All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank um, both of you guys for, for coming on the show. Cheryl, where can people go to keep up with you online? And what's, and what do you have work, what are you working on and all that good stuff? Well, they can go to my website, CherylMachatDorskin.com. We'll put it on the show. Um, I'm working. Um, well, I, I'm working on a four-part article for um, magazine Clarity, and um, we'll maybe put that on the show notes too. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on uh, articles on color about color, which. Um, is a real passion of mine. And um, I also just wrote another online course. I, this will be my fifth online course I teach. So you can find that on my website too, on my online courses. And, um, you know, my college class starts next week. I got a bunch of photo shoots. I'm busy. Yeah, that's good. Busy is good. Thank you, Cheryl, for coming on. I appreciate it. Nice to see you, Frederick. And congratulations, Syl. Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, Syl, Syl. Yeah, you, you should have a glass of champagne sitting there with you, man, after all yeah, this. Yeah, I know. It's a big jar of moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like moonshine. <laughs> it's club soda, but I'd like to think it's moonshine. Although sure, I, I photographed moonshiners in Kentucky one summer, and whew, that's tough stuff sometimes. But uh, Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it can cause blindness, so be careful. Yeah, with that stuff. yeah. Uh, what do you got coming up? Still? So um, I am actually looking forward. I just worked out the opportunity to go out to New York um, at the end of October. So mm -hmm. I'll be in Manhattan for, I guess, five days. I'm doing a talk at B&H on the new Canon Speedlight, the 430EX3 RT or that long name. Um, 430EXR2D2C3PO. Yeah, something like that <laughs> in theaters on December 17th. Um, yeah. And then I'm going to be giving a daily speed lighting demo on the floor at Photo Plus at the Canon 
uh, live demonstration area, which I'm pretty excited about. And then I'm thinking, since I'm already going to be back there, I'm thinking about throwing together a one-day speed lighting workshop. So yes. um, the place to get, find out about all of that and pretty much anything Silarina-wise uh, is my blog, pixelated.com. And uh, so we'll put all the info up there. Awesome. Cool, man. Thanks again for coming on. It's always oh, my a pleasure. pleasure. Always a thrill. Like I said in the book, Frederick, you always make me laugh. I need to read that. Yeah. I, I had just got this book and my name is in this it's book. It's on the acknowledgments me. page. I'm famous. You my name is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sil. I appreciate you, you putting me in there. That's, uh, that's a nice surprise. All right, guys, uh, listeners, be sure to visit our website over at thisweekinphoto.com. And with that, I guess it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>